This is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay, and I've got two beautiful black women here with me. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Zleifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara. Kayende Koyejo, you are back. Thank you so much yes, for coming on. Yes, <laughs> I'm glad to be back. Yeah, you were, I, it's, it's amazing. The years just go by, but it was 2021 when we began. And, um, you know, you were telling us about Calm Corner and your business and you've got uh, your daughter here, Lola. Lola, <laughs> she in the house. Yep. Say hi, Lola. And we have a <laughs> wonderful, wonderful guest who will be talking about our guest is Kowal Apara? Apara? Apara. Apara. And you have a one-woman show, which is called uh, Brain Like Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, you're being directed by uh, Kayende. Um, well, basically, how are you doing? How are all of us doing? It's a wonderful Sunday afternoon, evening, afternoon. I'm Everyone's doing, doing wonderful? I'm wonderful. We're cool. Doing- Let me hear what, how you doing, girl. <laughs> We're doing very well by the grace of God. Thank you so much for having us here and the wonderful setup. It's just lovely. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad that we made time. I had to rush here. Um, Obviously, I'm stage managing um, Radio Golf, which is being done by uh, um, Lower Bottom Players, players. (laughs) which you are an alumnus of, Kiyende. I've worked a lot with um, Mama Ayodele. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure your mic, you're right in front of uh, the that mic. Mean, but uh, no, no, I mean, the black theater, black women theater. Uh, we were just talking off mic that, you know, I'm just black women in power. You know, wonderful things happen when black women are in power. Um, <clears throat> not to generalize it, but, you know, it's. I, I told you that I now work for the Oakland District Attorney's Office, Pamela Price. <laughs> Congrats on that. Yeah, exactly. And on the other end, I left the DA's office, which is run by another black woman, um, um, Brooke Jenkins. Mm-hmm. So black women power. It's all over. Yes. So all over here in uh, Oakland, the Bay Area. So it's, it's wonderful. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Caught the chickens are coming home to roost. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Soul, okay? There you go. And, you know, and honestly, we've been out here doing this. We've been out here powerful and amazing. It just seems like we're in a time right now where black women are finally being acknowledged, even by ourselves. Yeah. And, of course, I'm sure no one knows the hill that you have to climb to get to where you want to go than than you um, to... I've often said that the the white man, you know, uh, pushes down the black man, and the black man sometimes pushes down the black woman. Um, so, you know, you get it from not only the, you know, white society or the, you know, the prejudiced white society, but sometimes you get it from us brothers, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, we mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. so. Well, that's the reason why um, I wanted to create this platform. Come on. Um, you know, I've been working with Brava Theater for Women in the Arts for years now. I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a part of I'm a company member with uh, Black Artists Cultural Contemporary Experience, a.k.a. Um, B-A-C-C-E, uh, led by Idris um, Anifa Woshe. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm i one of six girls, and yeah. I have a twin, and yeah. I'm surrounded by a host of black women. Mm-hmm. Amazing, phenomenal, beautiful, smart, um, kind, gentle, brave black women. And I am always finding myself sitting in and commune yen with my sisters and hearing their stories. 
Yeah. And I'm all like, what? People don't know us. People don't know the black woman. The black man don't know the black woman. <laughs> and the black woman, yeah. you know, some of us, we just waking up to ourselves. We just finding out who we are. Yeah. So I am really honored to um, to share this, this platform with mm-hmm. my sisters. Um, you know, uh, giving them an opportunity to tell they're ready to be told stories. Yeah. Which is how Koa and I started connecting about her piece, Brain Like Berkeley, because it's part of her memoir. And I'll let her talk more about um, Brain Like Berkeley, but I just wanted to no, no, know, no. set yeah. it up. Why we why we even have this platform to do this? No, no, it's it's very, very important. I mean, Norman and I, we've talked, we've brought in all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds to share their story. And I want to bring more black women on because it's it's very, very important. I showed a, I shared a story with you off mic about Dr. Ayodele mm-hmm. and her dealing with her landlord and the landlord who is a, a white individual. We're not anti-white. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, I believe there's a difference between white and whitey. You know, mm-hmm. uh, white mm-hmm. is just a pigment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but whitey is a mentality, it's a mentality. based mm-hmm. on prejudice and um you know, um, white supremacy, white supremacy. Yeah, exactly. Period. So it's a mentality that we have to get rid of. Mm-hmm. But in any case, she's having a conversation with the individual and the individual says, can you lower your voice? You know, you, I'm intimidated. I'm triggered by, you know, you, and Ayodele was saying, Dr. Ayodele was saying, Hey, listen, I'm just speaking as I normally would. I'm sure if I were a white woman, you wouldn't say that or an Asian woman or a Latina woman. Mm, right. And I'm sure you two mm-hmm. get that. Um, mm-hmm. have you, have you have gotten that? The, the tension or the the pressure of to assimilate to I don't know to sweeten yourself so that you can I don't know be more accepted have you have you got have, have either of you have to have to go through that yes how about I, you Cole I mean I know I have Cole what about you um you. no I've actually never gone through that is that right psych <laughs> <laughs> no I have a story it's so funny um So I've worked every year Mm -hmm. at the UC Berkeley Alvin Ailey Dance Camp as a camp counselor. Yeah. And this was actually the first year where I took a hiatus, but Mm -hmm. every year um, for the last eight years or so, I've been the camp counselor there. And so one time I was, you know, walking around with my UC Berkeley badge on, which is something that some people do, but you don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was trying to get in a particular building and a white woman said to me, you can't come in here. Only staff and students can Mm -hmm. come in here. Mm -hmm. And so I had on my Cal Alvin Ailey sweatshirt plus my badge and I picked up my badge and you know, it had the I had it on with the lanyard, so I like mm-hmm. picked it up from my chest and I said, I work here. Yeah. And she said, I don't know if that's real. And oh she proceeded God. to shut the door mm-hmm. on me. Now mind you, my foot was halfway through the door. Hmm. So she began to shut the door so aggressively that she banged both my arm and my That's right assault. foot into the door, yeah, the, the glass door, and I just said, you know, it's amazing to me if if I really went on a rampage and I listed all of the physical aggression I yeah. have experienced, yeah, by white individuals alone who choose to live within this praxis of. Um, you know, 
the gatekeeper or the guard of the world, then, I mean, I could go on forever. But, yeah, things like that happen so much that we really don't even tell the full story. No one, we know it exists because people video a lot of things. But if Kehinde and I and so many other black women, if we really kept a record Mm -hmm. of everything that's happened to us. Yeah. It's just exhausting. It's to the point where you just learn to, unfortunately, let a lot of things go. It's amazing, the normalization of it. Well, you know that if you speak up, because I knew I should have reported her to, you know, whatever department she was working for, or so on and so forth. But it's just like the work it takes. And yeah. then you know that sometimes who's going to be greeting you on the other side of that complaint Mm -hmm. may also have this type of, oh, who do you think you are type attitude. So then you always know that when you speak up against violence, you are opening yourself up to another form of psychological violence that you maybe just don't feel like going through. Yeah, no, I totally hear it. And it's amazing when you are talking I'm from Washington, D.C., the chocolate city, also the nation's capital. Mm, And I remember my mom, my biological mom, who's right there. She passed away in 2006. Mm, But she was one of the first black women to work in the federal government as an employee. Um, A little bit of history, but Lyndon B. Johnson, he created the Great Society. And I think it's what it's called. uh, There's a law. I want to say Amendment 25, basically not to discriminate uh, to, against blacks and whatever. Is, is that was part of the Civil Rights uh, Act of 1964. Mm-hmm. On paper, sure, it's wonderful, but execution-wise, it's hard. It's, it's a lot hard for a lot of blacks to get into the federal government jobs or you know the, the office jobs that were usually held by white men and white women. Mm-hmm. And she would tell me stories how they would look at her strange because she had the kinky hair. And she had, you know, I don't know, hips that other women didn't have or, you know, the stairs, you know, the leering and all of that sort of stuff. And this is in 1970. I mean, I'm sure by now women, especially black women, are normalized by that. But if you can imagine going through that and, you know, the stories that she would tell me. So when I hear stories like that, I think about her and really all of the women who have had to go through that and who are steadily climbing up the ladder to not just get a decent job and get a decent living, but also just be a part something that's their own mm, like on, i think of on. your your business mm-hmm. calm corner oh, yeah where you are your own boss yes and you know? she's employing other people mm-hmm. and you know and i created this line with black women in mind i'm a black woman i'm a black woman myself so mm-hmm. so everything that i create i'm creating for myself and you know my sisters yeah you know yeah and so it is ours um i i've been cool or no i mean as long as cool been knowing me what i've been doing creating space for who us yeah yeah that's all i've been doing since i've been like 17 Mm -hmm. she's a producer by nature that's just her calling in life yeah no i've 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 gleaned that and that's wonderful i mean you're telling your own story colwa and you're telling your own story in many, many various ways as a director, as you know, the creator of Calm Corner, mm-hmm. and I know that you mentor mm-hmm. a lot of um, yes. you know people. So yeah. it's really, really wonderful. And we just had her at my um, one of my jobs. She also does the artist self care guide, mm-hmm. where it's all about teaching us or reconnecting us mm-hmm. to the I am, which she breaks that down. 
And it's really about how do we employ self-care every day as a form of resistance. Yeah. And it's so powerful, and I highly recommend it for anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just what we need in this world under this capitalist structure that teaches us that that glorifies not taking sick days that glorifies working wow. yourself to oh, the bone. Yeah. She puts us in this wonderful framing of loving ourselves mm-hmm. and protecting ourselves mm-hmm. and putting in self-care rituals as a form of like saying thank you God. Thank mm-hmm. like I want to appreciate so many little things that I take for granted. So it's so much more than I mean, Candy Cuello is just a powerhouse. That's why I'm so honored to work with her. Um, and I'll kind of get into later how she became my director. I mean, because it's like an amazing story. No, we're going to get into all of that. Um, it's interesting that you were talking about just, and we've talked about that when you were on, because I remember asking you a question, how do you, in this toxic world, in the toxicity of the politics, how you you know, just stay sane. And you talked about having your own circle, mm-hmm. having your own tribe. Mm-hmm. And it was a wonderful, um, it was a wonderful little piece mm-hmm. that, you, that you had talked about. If anyone listens to episode, I think it was 214, it was around the 26 minute yes. mark where you talked about that. Um, there've been some current events, so I wanted to sort of get into that and I tried to it, put some fun stuff in here. We're talking all deep stuff and I love the deep stuff. Um, there's a thing going on in country music. I don't listen, I hardly listen to country music at all. I so. One artist writes a song called Try That in a Small Town, and the video is in front of a courthouse where a lynching took place, where he's very, very proud of that. And he's like, yeah, you try that in a small town, you, you know, city folks or whatever, code word, black people, try this, you know. So he's uplifting the conservative, you know, very antebellum Southern thing going on. But there's another country artist who did a reprise of Fast Car. Did you guys hear about this? No. Fast Car was done by Tracy Chapman. I love that song. Which is a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. This country artist, white guy, does the exact same thing, and as a result, it became number one. So Tracy Chapman is the first artist to have a number one country hit because she gets credit so as an artist. And she actually you know, gave credit to the guys, like, hey, thank you for you know, putting me back up. Now, you can say, well, is that cultural appropriation because there's a white guy doing a black woman's song? Or is it uplifting her? Who knows? But there's something fascinating going well, she on. She don't need him to lift her up. Exactly. So we can start there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, she is getting paid. That's fine, but she was getting paid before that, and that is her song. Mm-hmm. So all he did was make him some more money. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> So that's what's happening in the country thing. So that's that. Um, Elon Musk has now made Twitter X. I got kicked out of Twitter. I have no idea what I did. But, I mean, my Twitter, I had stopped feeding, listening, looking at Twitter for a while now. So Yeah, why is anyone still on Twitter? (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys get into the Instagram, Twitter thing a lot? Mm -mm. I mean, I use it um, as a tool. Mm -hmm. But do I get into it? That would be a no. Come on. Yeah. That would be a no. Yeah, there was a time where I was allowing social media to use me mm. instead of using it. And yeah. those days are long over. I took a long fast from Facebook years ago, and I joined Instagram maybe a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And 
<laughs> he was so cute. I got my first follower, and hey. I was in Trinidad. Uh-huh. And I was like, he was like, oh, do you have Instagram? And I was like, oh, no, I don't have that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I do have it. Hold on. <laughs> and then I opened it, and then he was like, honey, I'm going to be your first follower. I'm weak. <laughs> and I thought that was so cute that that was, like, actually a thing. And I was like, if you only knew. so. But I was actually really proud that he was my first um, mm-hmm. follower. He was the sweetest um, young man. But, no, I don't really it's, – it's, I'm, I'm – one thing I am really into is YouTube because okay. oh, I'm yeah. an information junkie. Yeah. I love listening to the news and things like that. So I've actually deleted the app from my phone. Mm-hmm. So if I need to listen to YouTube, I'm forced to go to my computer. So I've, I've reduced my screen time mm-hmm. literally 98% just by deleting YouTube from my phone. You know, it's funny. I remember when I first got the iPhone. As a matter of fact, it was the very first iPhone is sitting on that desk <laughs> that right tiny there. One right from there. From, I'm sorry, 2007. <laughs> and I'm sure it's worth some money or I'm whatever. Sure. But it's like, you have it and it's like, wow, the social media. And then years later, you have to, okay, I've got to now condition myself to push away from it. It's funny how technology will condition you one way. And you have a young kids. I don't know if you have any kids, uh, Cola. No. But, you know, I don't know what conversations you have with your child as far as the social media and when to use it and when not to use it and all that stuff. Well, she's eight years old. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we don't we do not do that in our household. You know, we don't need, we have, I haven't had a TV in over 20 years and I screen everything this baby girl watched. Mm-hmm. So she really, you know, for the most part, I would say, because I can't control, totally control the, the influence. Mm-hmm. But um, in my house, you know, she's um, building things Mm -hmm. and she's telling stories and writing stories. Yeah. And she's learning. Maybe she's learning some new hacks on YouTube because I do allow her to use YouTube as a learning platform. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I don't I mean, you know, we have real conversations about character and about, you know what I'm saying? About the real stuff. Yeah. So that, you know, if she is in has access to those things she knows hopefully yeah. i mean yeah. that's just my 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 wish is that she knows but i believe she does yeah no it's uh, and it's an important thing and i think now is the time to do it because yeah. a lot of parents wait until it's too late and Ooh. then all of a sudden <laughs> we had one guest on uh dorian lockett i don't know if you know i know my brother dorian lockett <laughs> hey dorian <laughs> but he he, t- he shared a story about uh he has uh some young kids i guess uh boys uh teenagers and how he had to, we were talking about a, um, I guess there was a, uh, a child who had committed suicide um, because of social media pressure. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you um, traffic that, you know, with the boys? And he just talked about communication, mm-hmm. just communication and just talking and being an influence. And a lot of parents, unfortunately, they just give the, the, uh, the phone or the laptop, mm-hmm. uh, the laptop or the tablet to their child and let them be the parent. And that's where you have problems. It's a very powerful tool, imagery. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when you allow TV to um, influence you like that and take, well, I would say take large, it's a drug, take large doses of it, mm-hmm. right. you can OD. Yeah. You can and you and will. That, and you will. And you will find yourself out there in the streets, and not literally, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about... You'll find yourself out there without knowing who you are. Yeah. 
because that's how strong and powerful it is. Yeah. That's why I don't I don't really fool with it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the very last thing, um, the Barbenheimer. <laughs> Barbie slash Oppenheimer. I saw Oppenheimer. I'm oh. I'm not in the I'm not in the the uh, the demographic of watching Barbie. <laughs> but uh, did did, uh, did you guys are you have you guys been influenced at all by any of that? First of all, can I say something cool? No, yes. I want you to say something cool. First of all, let me let you let me keep no, on snacking on these no. peanuts right here. Go ahead, cool, because yeah. you know I got way too much to say about stuff. I mean, I, I want to see Oppenheimer. I've, I've heard it was decent. I'm very much into cinema. Mm-hmm. More so international cinema because the plots just tend to be deeper. Yes. Um, Barbie, I was kind of like, mm, but then I was like, I do want to go see it. Um, I want to see it because, well, I grew up playing with Barbies. I was just about to black ask. Barbies. Yeah. My mother did not allow us to purchase non-melanated dolls. So all of our dolls had to be brown. Mm -hmm. Brown, light brown, dark brown, medium brown, black. There you go. We had two doll babies, one named Kimwer, one named Nefter, which are like um, ancient Egyptian Mm -hmm. names. And anyway, yeah, so we grew up always with black Barbies and black Kens. So I wanted to see the Barbie as like a bonding time with my little sister who is still a teenager. Oh, nice. And I really wanted to see like, are they going to have representation of us in there? Mm. Because they would want to. Yeah. Because we are American. That's right. And they keep trying to write us out of Mm -hmm. American history as um, supporting actors. That's exactly I right. Mean, I would, I was hoping to be surprised. So I like to really be surprised when I'm watching a movie, so I won't watch any trailers, but I was like, that would be hella bomb mm-hmm. if the main Barbie was the black Barbie. But I think technically only Barbie is white and her friends are the people of color. If, I'm, if, if I recollect c- correctly, mm-hmm. but I see so many different Barbies now that will say Barbie, and it's like different uh, ethnicity. So I, I'm not like a Barbie file like that, but yeah, I definitely want to see it because um, this is a Barbie is part of why America is the way it is. Yes, we really talk very, about very it. good. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating, and I'm I'm a little it's it's done when I see the news reports of. Grown women <laughs> dressing up like Barbie, you know, cosplaying because they were they had such a fixation on the white and blonde Barbie, Barbie oh, that they, you know, I mean, even it's a shame, but you know, even women who um, are brunette would dye their hair blonde mm-hmm. just to appropriate with that. I get that. Take it, you didn't grow up with the Barbie doll. Kian you know what? No, I did grow up with the Barbie doll. You know, um, and I had, I, I, I do recall playing with some white Barbie dolls. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not, I have, I have a totally, like, I'm not interested in it. I'm not interested in it because I mean, Barbie has never been black to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they've come out with some black dolls in the Barbie line, but Barbie has never been black. And she, and then Barbie also sets this um, unrealistic standard of beauty. Oh, of course. That many, many, Stick them. Okay, that many, many black women have tried to fit into, mm-hmm. you know. 
I'm so glad that, you know, we're in this, um, this time where we can have our hips and thighs and, you know, we can be us Yep. and not have to fit into that standard, that American standard of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I grew up with dolls, um, and I definitely grew up with Barbies, but you know, as I just, you know, grew up and, and just became more of a conscious individual, I'm, I'm just aware of things that are just not created to yeah. serve me. Yeah. Are, and and let's saying? let's be quite honest, you know, yeah. the movie is being um, produced by Mattel. I'm just saying. And what's the what's the purpose of that? To sell, to Thank sell, you. sell toys. And I don't know about anybody else, but I'm tired of being on the auction block mm-hmm. and being mm. sold. I'm tired of that. That mentality is done for me. Yeah. So you know, I'm really intentional about what I digest, what mm-hmm. I take in my mind, <clears throat> what I take in my body, what I take in my spirit. Yeah. Like I'm really intentional about those things. So you know. Yeah. Um. No, no, no. Let me, uh, because uh, you just, that, I was about to dub into, you know, an origin story. We're going to get into an origin story with you, Colwood, because I want to know, you know, like how you grew up and all of that. But the auction block mentality, I mean, when I think about, you know, as a straight guy, and Norman and I, we've talked about, you know, like the having to recondition ourselves not to stare and leer at women, you know, like, hey, baby, what's going on? Hey, my, my dad grew up at a time where, the woman was walking by, hey, baby, what's happening? And that was his, his time period. And, of course, when you bring up the, do you feel, let me ask you this, do you feel like you're on the auction block when someone compliments you of your beauty or let's say you are being stared or leered at? Mm. <laughs> hmm. I mean, I, I feel like when I was younger, that's exactly the feeling that I got. I don't really get that type of energy anymore okay you know like i mean people um really respect me Mm -hmm. and and even on the streets like brothers they will compliment me but they will do it in a respectful way okay um yeah so because there's a right way and a wrong way yeah it is yeah it is it's a right way and a wrong way and i but i i do um have experience with that and it did feel like that like being on the auction block but um that's just that's just you know, that's just, you know, it's not just America, but I can only speak about America because I'm here. That yeah, is of part of the culture. I mean, then it's just men in this culture have just been nasty. Yeah. Just nasty. You know, and they just spread that nastiness around. And so, um, yeah. That's a very good point. I think that it's a culture, not just in the United States of America, but in the Americas. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that whenever I travel to former slave colonies, mm-hmm. there is this pervasive energy of the woman being like for physical purposes only. Yeah. Not like wanting to engage with the mind or the spirit or mm. the intellect or the energy as if a woman can't think yeah it's just like very objectifying and you know that's what that's part of the repercussions of building entire countries on the enslavement of of Africans of bodies and mm-hmm. you know slavery didn't just it wasn't just us bringing Africans all the time from the continent, a lot of times, you know, it just depended on women constantly having babies. Yeah. You know, through rape. Mm-hmm. Yes. So a lot of times when 
Kehinde Kowejo speaks about how many of us as black women are just finally waking up to ourselves. That's not an understatement at all. Yeah. So for for generations, we were in, in the context of the Americas. Mm-hmm. We were not allowed to have sex for pleasure. Sex mm-hmm. was purely about how many babies can we create to supply the demand mm-hmm. for the slave trade. And when you think about what that does to the psyche mm-hmm. of the, the black feminine mind, yeah. you know, and then so many of our brothers have been conditioned to look at us as, what can you do for me? Instead of, queen, what can we do together? Mm. Right? It's yeah. a lot of like the quote unquote pimp culture, and then now a lot of women are adopting this quote-unquote finesse culture. A lot of things are just so transactional and mm. lacking in substance. Mm. So it's a whole, it's a whole caveat. Yeah. No, no, it's interesting. I, I, there was a friend of mine who I used to work with who was a very, very beautiful black woman. And she said, you know, sometimes I have to dress almost dopey or almost dress to desexualize myself to be treated, to, to have someone pay attention to me. Uh, but I, and I've also heard the other way as well, where I, there was a, I used to work for the federal government, and there was another beautiful black woman, I think her name was Jennifer Jackson, who literally looked like Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. She had, the, you know, the... Um, the power suit and she pressed her hair and this is in Washington DC about a year later when I'm work I'm living here in um, Oakland and I I lived up on Piedmont Avenue for a long time and I see this woman with her cornrows and her afro you know um, up well you know she she had both afro and cornrows and she had jeans and she was just you know dressing really really naturally and it was her and I was like, whoa, what's happening here? And she sat me down. She's like, man, I'm just so thankful that I could just be myself. Mm, I was in that corporate world and I had to, you know, do all of this stuff with my hair and press it and, and look, I guess, like a white woman. Yeah. <laughs> Only I mean, black. And she just it's like, hey, I could just be myself. And that made an impression on me. Wow, that's that's really powerful. I'm happy for her. You see Michelle Obama. She's been putting her hair in braids. (laughs) And they're they're beautiful daughters. You know, it's it's okay to have your hair straightened or a weave, you know, every now and then. But you should also be able to celebrate your natural African personality. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. know, it it shouldn't just be one way. It was clear to her that she had to do it because she worked in the federal government mm-hmm. and she wanted to be treated with respect. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there was this almost a cosplay. Right. You know, the only way you'll get to listen to my ideas mm-hmm. and pay attention to it and all that stuff is that if I present myself in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And that's the unfortunate of corporate America. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm so grateful for entrepreneurship, the opportunity for people to work for themselves. I mean, I know a lot of people, not a lot, some people say, oh, you know, that's it's so hard. I mean, yeah, it is hard, but everything is hard. And it's like entrepreneurship. It's like when a black woman is free, when she is able to like come as she, come and go as she pleases and do the things that matters to her and make money. I mean, that seems like that should be not just an, the American way, but a, a, the human way. That's right. Is that people can own themselves. Right. Like the, this whole employment thing is a, I mean, 
it is another form of slavery. It is that they uh, Harvard did, did a paper on it, mm-hmm. a whole paper on employment, mm-hmm. um, and so um, you know, seeing my sisters free, you know, in my mind, I'm seeing them as entrepreneurs, which is why that is attached to the work that I do. That that self care includes working for oneself. Yep. You know, so that's part of my whole, mm-hmm. you know, uh, pathway for with the work that I do. Yeah. No, no, you hit the nail right on the head and I'd love to talk more about that, but we really should get into an origin story. I want to hear more about you. Mm-hmm. Kowa Apara. Apara. Mm-hmm. Where were you born and raised and how did um, the, you know, this idea of this one woman show, well, let's, let's start with that. How, where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Berkeley, California. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nature, uh, natural, natural woman. Yeah. Um, siblings? <laughs> <laughs> Native, native. That's what I meant to say. Native, native and natural. Okay. Yeah. One of the great things about Berkeley, yeah. or as my daddy would say, berserkly. I was born with a twin sister, mm-hmm. so unlike most people, just like Yende. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really why we're working together. Mm-hmm. She understands me only the way a twin could, any baby could. So I'm the firstborn of twins. So my name is Kua. If my name was Yoruba, my name is Kirwandan. If it was Yoruba, it would be Taiwo. Mm-hmm. My twin's name is Kehinde, just mm-hmm. like her. Wow. Because her, her name means secondborn of twins. So Kehinde is the secondborn of twins. And in Yoruba culture, mm-hmm. the secondborn was really supposed to be the firstborn. Mm. But the myth goes that the first, the, the, me, mm-hmm. we pushed the Kehendes out the way to come out first. Mm. So, um, in our culture, in Yoruba culture, Taiwo, firstborn, literally means she or he who tastes, like you taste food, mm-hmm. who tastes the world first. And then Kehende means she or he who takes up the front line in battle. Mm. So we really balance each other. And if you meet Kehinde's firstborn twin, Taiwo, mm-hmm. her and I are very similar. And then my twin and Kehinde have a lot of similarities too. Wow. Um, but one thing that's different about my Kehinde and this Kehinde, and it's also different about myself, is Kehinde Koejo has been applying the self-work mm-hmm. since we were teenagers, mm. probably since younger. So I've always, I mean, when she talks about never having a TV, even in high school, she didn't have a TV in her high school, mm. in her bedroom. You know what she had? A meditation altar. She literally transformed her closet into a meditation room. Now this is, I'm this key in this yeah, You guys have known, to, you guys grew up together? We, yeah, so... She went to Berkeley High. We went to Oakland Tech. My twin met her twin because mm-hmm. Kehinde was doing fashion shows. She was doing this event called Hip Hop for the Soul. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes, Kehinde? girl. You taking me back? Okay, and I'm talking about <laughs> organized. She had applied for a grant because there was a lot of grants for youth in that yeah. period. Yeah, she had applied for a grant and. She got all like all this fancy sound equipment right here in your studio. Mm-hmm. She had all these huge speakers, <laughs> microphones, and she would do mm-hmm. um, 
events in yeah. Oakland. And yeah. so her twin was being featured because mm-hmm. her twin was a fashion or is a fashion designer. So mm-hmm. her twin was featuring swimsuits. Somehow her twin met my twin. I don't know how they met. And they were doing asmara. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> somehow, yeah. Somehow they met and her twin encouraged my twin to feature because my twin was an inspiring fashion artist in high school. Mm-hmm. So she encouraged my twin. She said, well, if you want to make some swimsuits, you can be your swimsuits can be in my fashion show. Mm, okay. So my twin had me mm-hmm. model them. Yeah. And um, we had to go to the, the Kuejo house. And I had to, like, stay up all night helping the girls, you know, sew the swimsuits. And then that's how I wound up meeting Kehinde. Mm, yes. Wow. Yes. Now, were you were you always artistic? Did you... Uh, I, 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 now, Kehinde, you told me that uh, you're a dancer. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. Our mom forced us to dance. <laughs> okay. I did not want to dance when I was little. Uh-huh. And my mom was like... You know, very similar to how Kehinde raises her daughter. It's like, no, you're going to do what I know you're here to do, which is to be the best version of yourself. So my mom dropped us off at dance class with Sister Linda Johnson. Mm. We were probably six years old. Mm. And I cried the whole way there. I (laughs) cried at the dance class. And my mom left. She left me there crying. Mm. And she picked me up when it was over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually I stopped crying and I just started dancing. And I'm so glad she did that mm. because it's always been able to get me to stop crying even mm. as an adult. Mm. Dancing has been my medicine. Wow. Now, are we talking about uh, modern dance, uh, ballet? African dance. African dance. Mm-hmm. West African and mm-hmm. Central African. Nice. Mm-hmm. Now, um... Did you go to, did you study arts in college? I studied public health. I went to UC Berkeley and I studied public health mm-hmm. and a minor in Portuguese literature and language, but I did take art classes. I actually ironically I had applied to the Tisch School of the Arts at NYU, but I didn't get in. And mm-hmm. I'm actually glad. I'm I'm really glad that I went to UC Berkeley. It was you know, for me I was kind of like on the fence like do I want to give myself to the arts or do I want to give myself to activism and health? And, you know, I just found a way to do it all. So, yeah, no, no, no. Now, you have a very, I've, well, I should have talked about your, um, because you're, you're African American, but you're also, um, you speak Spanish. So mm-hmm. there is some um, Latin blood yes. in you. I identify as Afro. Latina or Hispano hablante, mm-hmm. de descendencia africana. I mean, the household that I was raised in, I identify as African American and black. Um, I don't, I'm not offended. I'm actually honored by both of those terms. But we were not allowed to say black or African American in my household. Mm. We had to say African because our parents are Pan African and mm-hmm. they raised us to understand that our history starts in Africa yeah. and we were not defined by um, our history of enslavement here. And so that's fine with me. Like I definitely identify as African as well. Mm-hmm. 
and I do believe in Pan-Africanism. At the same time, I don't have any shame, and neither do my parents, but I don't have any shame around our enslavement in mm-hmm. the Americas. Yeah. I'm very proud of what our ancestors have made it through. Yeah. So, yes. No, that that is awesome. Um, what made you tell um, your, your experience at UC Berkeley made you write this one-woman play, um, Brains Like Beauty? Brain, Brain like, like Beauty. Berkeley, Berkeley mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Um, what what made you um, do it? Well, basically, it's about, how can I say this? So, growing up in Berkeley with Pan-African parents, it's a lot, mm-hmm. right? And Kehinde Koejo and I have very parallel um, coming-of-age stories, mm-hmm. you know? Growing up in Berkeley with strong-willed parents who... I mean, they did kind of force this pro-black identity on Mm -hmm. us, and I'm glad they did, right? Mm -hmm. You almost have to force it when you're raising children in a culture that is so um, white-affirming, right? Yeah, So our parents really raised us to love ourselves, and growing up in Berkeley is just, it's so different. It's so naturally diverse. It's it's just it's a history of revolution and rebellion and it's about not just my experience at cal it's deeper than that it's about my experience as a black woman being born and raised in berkeley being born and raised in the bay and the trials and tribulations that i've gone through because you're raised one way Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. you your parents raise you kind of in this ideal way but nothing can really prepare you for life on life's terms mm-hmm. once you leave that home of your parents. And I talk a lot about what I've been through as a black woman, mm-hmm. loving black people, loving myself, loving non-black people. And it's hard. And and I title it Brain Like Berkeley because it's kind of satirical because mm-hmm. there's a pop song um, by Frank Ocean, where he's talking about this woman having brain like Berkeley, where, but he's saying like, oh, she had he she gave good oral sex, like that's what okay. that's what I the slang the means. I right? see, I see. Oh, she gives brain like Berkeley. Got it. And so, I use that as high a, quality oral. Yeah, I, I get it. Now. Exactly. Like her brain is so good, she must have went to Berkeley. Got it. Right? Got it. Got it. Yeah. So I use it as a satirical way because a lot of times people they think of black women only being good for sexual things mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. I, I call it brain like Berkeley but it's literally a play on well I literally have a brain good enough to go to Berkeley and graduate with honors from Berkeley that's a good way and of retaking it Yeah. yes so and it's also about there's been so much erasure of black people from Berkeley, mm-hmm. but there are so many heroes, unsung heroes that real white hippies who who were like down with the revolution, mm-hmm. they'll tell you about. But a lot of those people who fought and died with Mario Savio, you'll mm-hmm. see him at the Free Speech Cafe, pictures of him all over, mm-hmm. where he talks about you have to throw your body into the gears of oppression to stop it. A lot of black people mm-hmm. um, created the Berkeley that we know of and that we're fighting to keep today. Mm-hmm. So it's um, 
it is my story, but it's also an homage to yeah. black folks in Berkeley and the Bay Area. I was going to ask you, because I remember going to school, I I went to NYU, okay. and I felt, because uh, I was very, very oh, sheltered. I was very sheltered being in Washington, D.C. It was Chocolate City. You know, when I went to elementary school, junior high school, high school, everybody was black. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, I get out of that bubble, and I'm going to NYU. That's what they mm-hmm. used to call it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you see Berkeley sometimes. They call it UC Berkeley. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Did you have to go through that? Were there a lot of black people going to college when you went to college? No, Berkeley has a deplorable... Mm. Uh, when I was there, it was less than 2.7% black. Yeah. Because, you know, they passed affirmative action when I was I in was just elementary talk about school. That. Yeah. They, they undermined affirmative action. So that made the black enrollment at Berkeley go way down. So it was less than 2.7% black. I think now it's like 2.3% black. Stanford, mm-hmm. across the bridge, had like 13% black and might still have it. A lot of the private schools have more black students because they still use affirmative action. But now with this new Supreme, well, the Supreme Court, Supreme Court ruling, exactly. we don't know. We yeah. don't know what's going to happen. You know, USC, Stanford, Harvard, you know, we don't know. It, it's going to really change the landscape. Yeah, it's really, really horrible. I mean, I the fight of affirmative action, that's been going on since... I remember when I first came here in 1997, there was a march against, I think it was Proposition, I can't remember what the proposition was, but Willie Brown. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much. And I remember Willie Brown, you know, um, marched, and I was part of the march as well. But that was 26 years ago. It's still happening even now. And now, I'm so disgusted when I think of Clarence Thomas, you know, just saying, oh, you know, America's risen to the level where we don't see race anymore. So we don't need affirmative action anymore, well, which is absolutely crazy. He doesn't speak for us. And, mm-hmm. and, and him and Candace Owens, they have the right to feel how they feel because there is diversity in thought amongst black people. And not, not all black people have to be pro-affirmative action. However, anyone who is of sound mind and has really done the research, mm-hmm. you know, when people try to depict affirmative action as though it's reverse racism like that makes no yeah, sense of course of course yeah. we have it's we haven't raised the field yet right you know white folks have been on affirmative action since this country was built that's exactly so right affirmative action has just been trying to undo mm-hmm. s- some of that huge head start that you we, we can never undo that head start exactly how can you undo hundreds of years of results with free labor. That's exactly I right. Mean, come on, like, give me a break here. Yeah. And you know, if America's supposed to be free, free for everybody, if you could say, well, yeah, you're free to get a job. Well, can I really, really get a job if the glass ceiling... Well, getting a job is not free. Right. Come on. Right, it's exactly. Not free. I mean, it's just like, I guess we just keep on hoping and wishing on a start that things will be different, but things have been the same. Mm-hmm. since the beginning of time in this country, according to my eyes and just what I know. I mean, you know, it's just like things are what they are. Yeah. And I think maybe the question is, what are we going to do differently? 
Right. Because trying to change the system, trying to make somebody do something they want to do, it's just a, it's just like a never-ending cycle of just insanity. Yeah. No, you know, no. Insanity. The question is, what are we going to mm-hmm. do different? Because there's a lot of things that we keep on doing the same. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Cola. Um, is Brain Like Berkeley your piece? Is it a a commentary? Is it a political commentary? Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Yes, it's all of those things. Mm-hmm. Literally, <laughs> there's political satire, mm-hmm. there's comedy, and anyone who understands theater mm-hmm. knows that real comedy involves some tragedy. Yes. Right? Yes. So there's satire, mm-hmm. there's drama, there's some um, poetry, some mm-hmm. monologues. It's it's just great. It's it's a real work of the heart. It's a real work of my heart. And when I was finally, I was so scared. But you know how when you're scared, but you know you need to do something, and then mm-hmm. God puts on your mind or heart who the person to call is? Mm-hmm. So I called Kay Hende, and I said, Kay Hende. Well, first, I did I invite you to dinner first? Or did I tell you over you told the phone? Me, you told me. No, we were in person okay. in my kitchen. Okay. So I told her, I said, Kehinde, I'm doing, I'm doing a one-woman show, and I want you to direct it. And she said, Kua, I've been waiting <laughs> on you <laughs> for this moment. She said, I've been waiting for this moment. Uh-huh. I've been waiting for you to be ready. Right on. And I was like, wow. It sounds like you knew she had a story to tell. Oh, yeah. I know all my sisters do. It's not a, it's not a, I mean, I know they all do. That's why I, I, I'm honored to be able to hold this space for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was going to ask Cola as you call your dog in. You want to pick, pick your dog up? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Hey, we welcome everybody on the A. Yes, um, but I was going to ask, do you have any acting training? I mean, did you have any training or what you're doing? This one woman show is purely natural because it takes a lot for someone to get on stage and just hold, captivate an audience for an hour. I don't know how long the piece is. 90 minutes. 90 minutes? Yeah, hour and a half. Yes. I have had training as an actor mm-hmm. by the wonderful Michael Lang. Right on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some amazing OGs in the Bay Area who I was um, honored to study under. Sister Imani Harrington. Um, she's a big sister. She's mm-hmm. not an OG, but I love her. So I have worked with some amazing theater programs. Um, I could go on just as a, as a youth. Yeah and taking workshops here and there as an adult but in terms of you know can i say that i'm i have been in training no because this is a real art form that i would never want to disrespect or front but where i falter kehinde kuejo she i mean she is a real director so she tells me where I need to dig deeper. Mm-hmm. She tells me where I need to project more. Yeah. She tells me when I need to go back and rewrite. Mm-hmm. Um, she tells me how to move. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of acting is about movement. Yeah. It's also about pausing <coughs> and 
there's just so many subtleties yeah. that I would not know about, but she brings that also as, you know, being trained in theater houses here, also, you know, training at Pace and going on and pursuing her graduate studies at NYU as well. Yeah. So I'm training with the best of the best. She's been on Broadway. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. A question I'll ask you, Kiyende, um, because I've talked with Dr. Ayo, uh, Dr. Ayo Deli Nzinga. Mm-hmm. About and it's a debate that Norman and I have had: training versus no training. Because you have individuals, I it's analogy that I use. Let's say your raw talent is like a bullet, mm-hmm. and the training or non-training you have is like the barrel. Mm-hmm. It focuses the bullet to go to where you want it to go. Mm-hmm. There are folks who don't have any training at all, so it's like a scatter shot. It just goes everywhere, on non-focused. Mm-hmm. And then there are some folks who have too much training; mm-hmm. they are too assimilated. Mm-hmm. And it's like that bullet, that 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 barrel mm-hmm. is so tight, the bullet can't even get out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some black folks who have been so classically trained, mm-hmm. they can't even be black anymore on mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. I had a, actually, I had an instructor, I had an instructor um, at ACT when I was studying there um, that actually told us he had been overtrained. He was a black man mm-hmm. and he um, encouraged us not to overtrain ourselves. So when he told me that, I decided not. I got my BFA from Pace University in acting, but when I got my master's, I decided to get my master's in performance studies, which is the theory of performance, which then leads an artist to, to creating its, their own work. Yeah. You know, and being their own artists and showing up how they want to show up right. with or, you know, with or without training. Mm-hmm. So training helped me. Um, you know, I um, I did a lot of training, but I'm glad that I decided not to go to conservatory mm-hmm. and to pursue more of a theor- theoretical. Yeah. You know, background mm-hmm. in the arts. Yeah, because you want to keep your authenticity. Yeah. Um, while, and I, when I think about training, you really just want to unlearn bad habits, mm-hmm. you know, stop saying, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know, make sure that, make sure that you, um, that are, that people can listen to, can, can hear you, mm-hmm. that you articulate well, regardless of what your, um, your dialect may be. Right. So. Has it been fun working with Kiende? I mean, has it been? I'm sure the I'm always interested in the relationship between director and actor. You know, there are folks who you've worked with for a long time and you've known since, uh, you know, childhood. Sometimes people can manipulate those relationships. Right. Well, the the interesting thing about, so I, I consider Kiende a sister and mm-hmm. a friend, but we never hung out like that. Okay. Our encounters were always, hey, cool, I'm putting something on, come mm-hmm. and support. Got it, got or, it. hey, this is something for mom. I call her mom, mom, and her dad, dad. Mom yeah. and dad, or maybe mom's having a birthday party. You know, it was always around gatherings. So mm-hmm. we never hung out and went out to, like, hear music or to the club or anything like that. I did hang out with her twin more, mm-hmm. Taiwo. Okay. Um, so... I would say that because our relationship has always been a, centered around community events, yeah. it, we don't have that dynamic of manipulating or leveraging our friendship in a way that could be toxic. Yeah. Because I really respect her professionally. Good, very because good. Because 
ever since I've known her, mm-hmm. our relationship has just always been centered around her producing something. Yeah. Right? Not to say that we don't have... Now, there are times when I'll call her and... Mm-hmm. And, you know, she'll give me just amazing advice, right? Mm-hmm. So things like that but no we th- and that's such a good question so you wrote mm. this before you went to Kayende. uh what was that what was that about um it was basically just about me i knew that i wanted to write my my memoir okay. mm-hmm. i knew that i wanted to write my memoir because i was just getting to a point in my life where i was just saying to myself this all can't be in vain I have to make this count. And there's a way you can make your pain count Mm -hmm. if you use it as medicine to bless other people, right? So that people don't have to necessarily go through the same mistakes that you went through, right? Are you talking about self-healing? Did you write it to sort of help yourself or was that Absolutely. Okay. I've always used writing as, um, as a source of release as a, a way to kind of like create my own deluge of releasing pain or anger and also working out confusion. Mm-hmm. Writing has always brought me clarity. Mm-hmm. So it was a way for me to tell, really like Candy says, tell my story because I was like, I'll be damned if some of these people who have hurt me win. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make my struggle count because there's a lot of people that I have loved truly Mm -hmm. who did not want to see me make it who really secretly wanted to see me Mm -hmm. die yeah who wanted to see me fail and they used love as a guise for for wickedness Mm -hmm. and this isn't just unique like the lot a lot of people who went to our first production Mm -hmm. I've had men I've had women black women, white men, Asian women, Latino people, man, woman, or whatever, tell me I felt like you were saying my story. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's universal. Mm -hmm. I happen Mm -hmm. to be this time around Mm -hmm. the sun and a black woman's body. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, there are so many points of my story that are universal. I think Regardless. that's the, I think that's the beauty about the power of storytelling and even deeper the power of telling your own story for so long too many people been telling our story and I'm speaking specifically about black women. Yeah. And it is time, this is the time for us to speak out, to speak up and yeah. to tell our story so that when people address us, when they want to sit down and have a conversation with us or if they even begin to try to judge us mm-hmm. they will catch themselves because they will now know us know who we are yeah I did have a quick question for you Kiende working with someone who you've known for a long long time it was something that we were talking while you were downstairs sometimes those relationships can be a bit manipulative I know working mm-hmm. with my dad like I used to write for my dad when we had our little soul R&B group um, although we love and care for each other, you know, dad may talk to me, not just like as a professional, but like as my mm-hmm. son, <laughs> Hey, I want, you know, mm-hmm. we need to do this. We need to do that. And I'm like, Hey, you know, 
treat me like a professional, like a legal. Did you guys have to go through it? What was work? How has it been working with COA um, personally on this project? It's been amazing. It's been amazing. It's been a blessing. It's been an honor, a mm-hmm. true honor to direct my sister. Because, you know, our process is very, um, it's, uh, what would you say? It's, it's, it's customized. I mean, like, our process is not traditional. It's not a traditional process. Mm-hmm. I'm not a traditional person. Neither is Kua. So that spills over into how we do what we do. And so, um, you know, when we when we were rehearsing, we were having sister time. We yeah. were talking and we were sharing stories and we were crying and we were laughing. Mm-hmm. We were having sister time. Yeah. You know, and that's where the healing begins. Yep, and That's we were drinking where it is. tea, we were right. eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were nourishing ourselves. So it was very easy to work with Cool because we were having fun. We were really having fun. And, you know, I I I I um I wanted to make sure that Kua knew we neither one of us are trying to be stars. We are already ancient. Yeah. We don't need to be stars to anybody. Right. right. We are already already stars. stars. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So we're not trying to get a deal. We're not trying to get a manager. We're not trying to make money. Sure. Even though that's what we, we would like people to purchase tickets because we do have to pay for the space. We have, I mean, there's a lot that goes into a production as you know, Sure. but we're not in this trying to be anything yeah. other than who we are. It's a form of expression. You're expressing exactly. yourself and you're expressing the stories of others. I mean, your story, as you said, Kola, translates to uh, to other people. It resonates in other people. So that's fantastic. I was going to ask you more of a technical thing um, because when an audience member comes to a play or, you know, even if it's a one-woman story, they're expecting an arc. They're mm-hmm. expecting, you know funny times or good times or whatever. So how do you take a piece and craft it into something that is, I guess, the best way of saying it, theatrical? That's a well, great question. Yes, that is a great question. And thank you so much for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, our What we're doing mm-hmm. is... Um, what we're doing doesn't necessarily have to have a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. We don't, I don't think we ever even looked at it at, at like that. But I think when you tell your story, it already has all of the pieces. When you go, when you be, when you're honest with yourself and you're really sharing what's on your heart and you're showing up and you say, this is who I am and I don't care whether you like it or you don't, mm-hmm. then it becomes art because it does not have to be anything. Yeah. All it has to do is move the people. Mm-hmm. It has to move the people. I and mean, that's what, what she asked me. She was like, what do you want to do with this piece? That's exactly mm-hmm. what she asked mm-hmm. me. Like, why are you doing this? What do you want the people to feel? Right. And that's what it is. So it didn't have to have those technical aspects mm-hmm. because we're, not, we're we could, because our process is different. We just wanted to make sure that every single person that came and witnessed mm-hmm. this performance would leave differently. Yeah. But ask questions, ask questions of oneself. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We'll be, take more time to get to know someone. So cool. Well, what do you want the audience to get out of it? When they come out of the theater, do you want, you want them to feel, um, I don't know, exhilarated or... Broken um, open. Broken mm-hmm. open. Come on. Broken open. Crack them right on open. Mm-hmm. Liberated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we, we really want them to leave not feeling the same. We want them to leave feeling 
vulnerable and ready to face those fears Mm -hmm. and human Mm yeah feel human like get 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 back to your feet flat on the ground they got us flying out here Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying get back on the ground my friend and so that's what and that's when you're on the ground you feel in control of yourself and that's what we are we want people to feel in control of themselves and to know that we, I, I am you, you are me. The only thing that separates us is this thing called color, which, and I mean, there's more things, but what I'm saying is that there has been this artificial divide, fabricated, fabricated right. a way of separating people. And we are tell when the black woman tells her story, she Come tells on. a universal story. That's true. She tells everyone's story Come on. because she is the mother. Mm. She is Pachamama. Come on. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're, that's, that's what, where we are with yep. the peace. We want people to be moved and to be, and to reconnect with self. To reconnect with self. So we want people to leave feeling special mm-hmm. and cared for Thank and you. loved yes. from the inside out. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to get real. Yeah. I don't want to give it away, but I'm going to get hella real. She gets real. y'all. Yeah. Like real. how we say brain like Berkeley. I'm also going to talk about diseases of the brain. Mm. Yeah. My own story with, you know, diseases of the brain. Mm -hmm. It's it's just so deep. The brain is so deep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, you can't let it take control. Mm -hmm. You can't because we're bigger than our brain. We're bigger than these bodies. Yeah. As Kehinde teaches so uh, one of the things that i can say working with kehene koejo it's been very therapeutic Mm -hmm. because where i become very stressed Mm -hmm. and i allow my i allow and i say allow because it's all a choice yeah i allow i will allow my anxiety to get the best of me Mm. and kehene will just be like no everything is as it should be yeah it's okay be calm don't worry about it. Be in the now. Mm-hmm. It's so rare to find a, a director that way because, you know, in the theater arts, we're taught that to be professional, to be the best, you have to be just like, ah, ah, ah. Mm-hmm. and trust me, Kehinde knows how to hold boundaries, though. Don't mm-hmm. don't get it twisted. Yeah. But she's able to do it in a way that is so elegant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, um, she needs to get down from there. No, no, I, I was a little <laughs> worried about that. Okay, yeah, just tell her not to look over like that. Thank you, lady. Okay. And if they can keep their voices down just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It's okay, I don't think the mic is up picking them up. Yeah, it's all good. <clears throat> but it's interesting, when you had mentioned that, I was thinking back to when I was in school, there was a saying they would always say that um, theater is therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Mm-hmm. And they said that because there would be students who would come to a theater school, let's say the first time being in a theater department or whatever, and let's say they have a monologue and it's emotional. It taps into them. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they emote or there's some emotion that comes out that they didn't think. And the professor, usually the director will be like, okay, listen, 
you got to stop what you're doing because you're getting way too emotional. Your emotion has nothing to do with the scene in itself. And this theater that you guys are creating, you ladies are creating, it's basically the opposite of saying, hey, listen, we are going to be emotional and it is therapy and we're using theater as therapy to heal. Exactly. Well, that's what indigenous people, we use the arts. Arts for us has always been sacred. Mm -hmm. It's always, it's never been separated. It's always been a part of daily life and healing. Mm -hmm. There is no healing ceremony in any indigenous culture where there is not music involved, some type of theatrical emoting, Mm -hmm. you know, some type of costume, you know, adornment. This is just who we are. We're putting the integrity back into the integral human. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. in Western culture, we want to always, like, separate and divide everything, but Mm -hmm. this is all one. And, Kehinde, can you talk about um, some of the theater... Didn't you study theater of the oppressed? I did. I I studied, um, I did a program at La Mama, and so I was introduced to um, theater of the oppressed. And Mm -hmm. also, that's what performance studies did, was introduce me to all these amazing minds Mm -hmm. behind art. Yeah. And so, um, you know... Uh, you know, we have been trained to like leave your stuff at the door, but I, I have never agreed with that. That never, I did not see that serve actors um, at all to not be able to process the hurt and the pain that they were experiencing behind doors. Mm-hmm. And that's why suicide was so, is so high amongst actors. Damn, it's very high. I've been doing this work for how long? Got bu- a, a stack of, um, actors this big mm-hmm. commit that took their own life and it still happens you know I was thinking about Sinead O'Connor who just mm-hmm. passed away mm-hmm. no one's saying it by suicide mm-hmm. was that by suicide no one is saying it but she has had history of suicide mm-hmm. and I believe I don't know if it was her son or her daughter but there was a relative of hers who recently passed away from suicide mm-hmm. no one's saying it but I think that's going to come out Mm-hmm. And of course, she was an artist that has mm-hmm. been ostracized. Mm-hmm. You know, Why? a beautiful woman who dared to shave her head mm-hmm. and to speak truth, mm-hmm. especially about the Catholic Church. Right, right. No, it's real out there, and I think that there's a lot of abuse in theater. I think I mentioned that before. Yeah. You know, a lot of abuse happening in the theater, and and you know that's because people's like, oh, okay, I'm hurting. I'm gonna be an artist, but no. If you're hurting, you heal yourself mm-hmm. so that you can make art. Yes. Art is not supposed to hurt people. Art exactly. is not supposed to, you know, um, you know, and make you crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but when what makes you crazy is your hurt and your pain. Yes. Which is why, you know, showing up and, and having a bottle that are suppressed that just to get the job done is very colonial. Yeah, it's oh, very oh, colonial. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I love that. It's very, yeah. And the thing is, you have a director who isn't concerned about whatever your personal pain is. Like, no. hey, this is the job. This is the script. Just do it. Right. Get through it. And if you can't do it, then step away and we'll get somebody else. I mean, like, you are nobody. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't matter. Yeah. And so my question is, is like, how long will we continue to operate in that way? Yeah. And I said, I was, I'm, you know, that's why I, I stepped back from the industry because I, I, I saw what I, I needed to see to take my work to the next level. Yeah. And so this is what I'm doing. I'm not, I don't, 
I'm not a part of the industry, so I don't have to play those games. Yeah. When I show up, I show up as myself, as the I am, mm-hmm. faceless and formless, ready to get the job done, but not that job. Right. I'm ready to get this job done. Come yeah. And I and, and I'm doing that through the arts, through the yeah. pathway of arts. Yes. Yeah. No, that is awesome. That is really, really powerful. And it's also wonderful that Theater Brava is giving you the stage yes how has that partnership been oh it's been amazing I love Brava Brava has been a theater home for me since I've moved back from New York in 2012 and I met um my sis Idris Anifa Woshe and she um she's a resident artist there as well and she introduced me to Brava and the Brava family and um you know we've been done several shows there uh through BACCE mm-hmm. and um, and I'm you know I love Stacy Stacy has always had my back and I um, decided you know what I'm really I, I've evolved and I want to do something else with my artistry mm-hmm. and so I presented to her my idea and what I wanted to do and she's all she's also uh, you know Stacy uh, the executive director of Brava is mm-hmm. very familiar with my work and yeah. so she was like so excited and so, um, yeah, I'm glad to be there at Brava for the for women in the arts. They have always um, created a space for women, and mm-hmm. so I could not see any better place to um, to try out this uh, new way of um, being mm-hmm. in the arts uh, than with you know than at Brava. I mean, yeah. What do you think, Cool? You've been liking Oh, enjoying? I love the Brava. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And Brava for women always. Mm. It's just... Okay. It's in the title. It's so superb. The theater is immaculate, and they respect Kande mm-hmm. Coejo so much. And the technicians, everyone, they're all women, and mm-hmm. it's just phenomenal. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, well, this, this will not be your first time performing this, right? This will be my second and third time performing Okay. It. How has the reaction been? Uh, well, you did say that there were multiple people who said that, you know, that they were, you know, that they were, you were sp- speaking their story. So it's been mostly positive? And yes, by the grace of God. So the first show was a sold out show. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So many people wanted tickets, but we sold out. So God willing, we're going to sell out both shows again. And you know, like theater, it's dynamic. So it's gonna, it's not gonna be exactly like the first show, but yeah. it will be, you know, the, the same prototype. <laughs> so inshallah, the people will um, be happy and be touched. Yes. yes, and they will, and that's why I just want to encourage everyone to come out and support this type of theater. This is, to me, this is this is, this is theater for the people. Yes, mm-hmm. This is theater for the people, by the people. Like, we are not out here trying to be, get no deals for nobody. We're not out there trying to work in this industry. What we're out here trying to do is to con- contribute to humanity, contribute to the rise of humanity. Mm-hmm. We are in the era, the, um, the Aquarius. We are in a time of the Aquarius, which that's the humanity of people and so that's what this piece is calling on us to be humans mm-hmm. okay because we i don't know what's going on but i'm this is a call for us to be humans and then what does that mean and what it means to me is we are each other's brother and sister we are caring for one another it's not about money it's not about this paper that 
that that that, that you then go and buy assets with when you, you know that's the intention <clears throat> but how many right. of us really do that right so it's just like how are we caring for ourselves in one another and that's the work that I'm hoping um, resonates with the audience and yeah. we would love for people to come and check this out. It's only two nights only, y'all. Two nights only. Yeah. No, it's theater that we need. You know, their theater. I mean, do we really need another revival? Of, no, more revivers, okay? No more <laughs> revivals. Or, no. You know, Annie, get your gun or something like that. No. This is this is important <laughs> stuff. This is, uh, it, and it's, it's, it is theater about us. It's mm-hmm. theater about our community. I mean, you're a member of this community, so you're sharing your story, mm-hmm. and your story is our story. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important. And our story yeah. is our legacy. Come on. If we don't tell our story, no one will know who we are and the mark that we have made, because we all have come here to make a mark. Yeah. But if we don't give voice to that story and we don't write it down, we don't share it, mm-hmm. then who will know? Who will know? And right. that's what we're doing, and that's what I um, I'm excited to um, see many black women do Mm -hmm. is make their mark with their story. Yeah. It would be wonderful if someone were to listen to your story or see your story and say, I'm going to write something. I'm going to do what she's doing. It's already happened. Yeah. So many women have already approached Kehinde and said, I want you to direct my story. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's already happening. A friend of mine named Janae, mm-hmm. she's reached out to Kehinde. Another Simon. No, I, I no, don't no, know no, her last oh, never name. Mind, never unfortunately. mind. Okay. Another young lady who also went to Cal Berkeley, mm-hmm. um, who I think is going to be traveling with Kehinde to Africa. Kehinde is going to be directing her story, so it's going to be a series. Mm, nice. Of, oh, that's um, wonderful. It's black a women's stories. Yeah. yeah. A series mm-hmm. of black women's stories. Mm-hmm. Hey, that is awesome. I that, mean, that's, yeah. we excited. We yeah. excited and cool it and kicked it off. She even set the standard, let me tell you. The trailblazer. One last question for you, uh, Kuya. Um, what will, uh, what do you what do you see yourself in the future? Are you going to do more of these, or will you, do you write, will you write again after this? Yes, I will. That's such a good question. I will write again. I'm, you know, writing my memoir has been so deep because you realize that. You have so much to say, so much more to say than what you've said. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'm still young, so I, my, I'm gonna write a few more memoirs mm-hmm. and books of poetry, children's books, and you know, I also curate and produce spaces for Black people oh, nice. and all people, mm-hmm. you know. But you have to be of a revolutionary mindset, you know, even if you're black, like you, you know, you have to be, when I say revolutionary mindset, all I mean is you have to be open to loving humanity. Mm -hmm. To me, that's revolutionary because we live in a world that teaches us to hate ourselves and teaches us to hate our neighbors. So I'm not down with that. Um, So one thing that is really dear to my heart is 
my organization called Deep Roots Health mm-hmm. Consortium, okay. and we're going to Barbados, mm-hmm. oh, nice. and we're doing African dance and yoga in Barbados on the beach. Mm-hmm. We're going to be there for their Grand Condument Day, which is their their liberation yeah. of when Africans who were enslaved were set free, and there's like a big carnival. And um, so I'm doing a series of retreats in healing spaces because we don't make enough time for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So being around people like Kehinde just encourages me to don't complain about it, just do something about it. There you go. We can be producers of spaces just like you have produced this space, this show. So you're creating space. You're influencing the discourse. You're influencing the infrastructure. You're influencing the imprint mm-hmm. of who we are that's going to be left here yeah. beyond when we go on to meet our maker. So I'm just trying to live more in that truth because, yeah. you know, you look up one day after you've graduated college and you realize, oh, my God, I've just been working for other people for years. Yeah. When, am I, when am I going to make a moment to tell my story or to create, to shift and change this world in a way that I know God put on my heart to do? Mm-hmm. So, yes, I will be creating God willing until the day I die. Awesome. Yes. No, no, that is very, yes, very inspirational. We have to. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting. I've had folks on this show. They've made that tradition transition. It sounds like, you know, they're actors who come out of school just fresh and they're like, oh, you know, just give me a pat on the head so I can get a job or whatever. And then they reach a period in their lives where they're like, you know what? I'm done with this. I want to start writing. Mm-hmm. And they write plays or they'll write books. Or, or, or what have you so there's definitely there's definitely a transition that goes through an artist's lives where they're like mm-hmm. you know what I need to tell my story mm-hmm. and, and you're there and you, and you didn't it didn't take you to be 30 or 40 mm-hmm. or 50 you know you're doing it right now mm-hmm. so so that's awesome God is good mm-hmm. and I'll also just say a caveat when you take a break from toxic relationships mm-hmm. you'd be surprised how much your time opens up and your creativity and your discipline to do something with those gifts mm. yeah. manifests. Yeah. So I deliberately took a break from toxic romantic relationships mm. that I will never go back to. Yeah. And I poured all the love that I used to pour into a man mm. that did not have intentions that mm. were godly with me. Yeah. I now pour that into my gift that I want to leave for, for our earth, for our people. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I alluded to that when we talked about, you mentioned the, um, the slavery block. We were talking about Barbie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course, when we see a beautiful, when we heterosexual men see Mm -hmm. a beautiful woman, we see beauty and this and that and the other, but to a woman that could be possession. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I love you really translates to I want to own you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a, a wonderful uh, guest, uh, Marla Cox, who is a wonderful singer, black singer. And she talked about how when a man, you know, has uh, makes love to a woman, he feels that he owns her. And, you know, the thought of her being with someone else or venturing off mm-hmm. is so apropos. I mean, that's why many of the crimes that are created, you know, are by men who can't control their libido mm-hmm. and they want to possess the woman. And they can't, and all of a sudden you've got domestic violence mm-hmm. or even mass shootings and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, 
No, I totally, I totally, totally understand. Yeah, that's a whole nother show. Speak on that. But no, no, we're we were talking about you know healing, self healing, yeah, self love, and that's what you're all about, and that's what you know every artist should be about. Yeah, you know, we work so hard out there as artists. Oh, they can't come. They oh. can't. They can't okay. get in. <laughs> And we're about to wrap it up anyway, because uh, I think I've held you for at least an hour and a half, but we're having a wonderful time um, having a discussion. There are other, you, we mentioned, um, there are other artists that I want to sort of uh, uplift. Uh, Bridget Della Portman, who's been on episode 75 and 236, she is now the president of Fair Theater's Board of Directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sherry Lynn, we've talked about artists, you know, creating and writing their own stories. Sherry Lynn, Another black female artist, episode 164. You could check her out. She has a book out called Manifest Ooh, Happy. I got to get that. Available on Amazon. Um, Catherine Park, she's been on the show, episode 246, has two albums coming out this summer. Mm. Someone Dream and Every Time I Put You On. So mm. check that out. Sherilyn Connolly, a trans woman, she's been on the show, episode 100, has a book out. Beautiful Ghosts, a queer memoir of San Francisco. Mm. And uh, she had a reading on June the 7th that passed already, but you should check out her book as well. So there are a lot of folks who are breaking out love that. of doing other people's stories and yes. then creating their own stories. That's powerful. Yes. Thank you for um, sharing your space mm-hmm. with black women. Yeah, yeah, of course. And of course, we have a link to Brain Like Berkeley if you want to buy tickets at Brava Theater, August 25th, 26th, and we have a link to that as well. Um, also, there's some other shows going on. Much Do About Nothing. Uh, Norman G., that's why he's oh, not Norman. here. Mm-hmm. He is uh, doing that right now. Spark Theater is doing that. That opened June 22nd and ends August the 6th. We have a link. Check that out. Altering the Theater is doing The Birds. Uh, apparently, they did a play based on Alfred Hitchcock's uh, piece. Kimberly Ridgway, another proud black woman, uh, who is directing this piece, August the 11th, September the 10th. Also, Dr. Stephanie Johnson, mm. who is also doing lights for our play, mm-hmm. um, Radio Golf. She's also doing lights for the birds. Oh, yeah. Uh, like so Dr. Check. Stephanie Johnson. Yeah, Dr. Yeah, Johnson, geez. another fierce, okay, fierce. Okay, another fierce. <laughs> yes, Black shout woman. out. I think she's the first person I've interviewed who has a Wikipedia page. Wow. So she's she's up there. I'm going to have to check her page Yeah, speaking of, speaking of radio golf, that's uh, being played by the Lower Bottom Plays. That's the play that I'm working on. Being directed by Dr. Ayodele Nzinga. Uh, and uh, we have a link for that. That'll open August the 11th through the 27th. And we're going to have, uh, I think the next time we're on the EA, we'll have some actors from the show mm. come on to talk about their experiences. Uh, San Francisco Shakespeare Company is doing Cymbeline. That opened July the 22nd. It ends uh, September the 24th. Eko Yamamoto, she's been on the show many times, uh, is in the play. Brava, yes, <laughs> along with uh-huh. doing Brain Like Berkeley, is also doing Domestica Realidad. Mm-hmm. Realidad. Realidad. And we've had Virginia Blanco, who is a proud Argentine artist, and um, she's directing the show. Uh, she, uh, I forget the name of her company. I don't want to botch it, but in uh, any case, we do have a link, so check that out. That's August the 3rd through the 13th. Um, the Marsh Theater, another one-person show, Fred Pitts, mm-hmm. a black man, has a show called Aren't You? Uh, that'll be July the 21st through August the 18th, so check that out. The all-woman cast of King Lear, 
is being played at the Silicon Valley Shakespeare Company, um, directed by a good friend of mine, Cynthia Lagozinski. We have a link for that. Also, there are a couple of other podcasts. Barry Graves, I wrote a play called Foreman in Paris, and he was my Richard Wright, the lead actor. Mm. He has a play called The Black Man's Heart, so you wow. got to check that out mm. on all podcast apps. I like that title. That sounds great. <laughs> yep. Nice. Uh, Mallory Somera, our consulting producer, her day job is KCBS, and she is producing two other podcasts. As prescribed, a weekly conversation with leading medical experts at UCFS, UCSF Medical Center, and also It's Generational, where she talks with people from different generations about a, an assortment of topics. So check that out. And Central Works has the Central Works Script Club. That's a podcast where you can download and read a play script and then listen to an audio interview with the playwright. Delivered semi-annually. And the last one is Bindlestiff Studios. They're a Philippine company. And they have the Fobcast exploring Philippine-American immigrant stories. So check oh, that out. Nice. And also we have Yay Jerseys. So yes. uh, black and white. $30, so hit me up. Nice. <laughs> so check that out. I have it on the table there. Oh, they're nice. And that is it. Uh, hopefully, wow. Koa, you had a wonderful time. I did. This was so lovely. <laughs> Thank this you. Was. Thank you so much. So Thank classy. you so much. Yeah, no, no. You have blessed me with coming on. You know, the yay is only powered by the people who come on. Mm. So... You know, it's all about us uplifting each other. I mean, thank you for thank this you. platform, really seriously, because it it means a lot to you know just to be able to share this space with you know family, mm -hmm. community, yeah, the people. Come yeah, on. there you go. And I want to push you guys to have your own podcast. We would love to. <laughs> We've been talking about this for how long, Kua? How long? Yeah, yeah. We, we would love to. Plan, yeah. yeah, we'll have to talk off mic. I'll show you all about it. But no, I would love to hear. You know what you guys are talking about because, needless to say, we could have gone all sorts of mm -hmm. directions with things we were talking about. But mm -hmm. um, no, it's awesome. Yay. And uh, you can listen to us on all of the podcast apps. We're on Apple Podcast. We're on Spotify, we're on Overcast, we're on SoundCloud, we're now on the Amazon podcast. Mm -hmm. You can just go on music.amazon.com, search for The Yay, you will find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know, hit us up. Uh, Twitter slash X, actually I'm, I'm thinking we're just done with all of that, mm -hmm. but uh, Spotify... Um, well, you could find us. I'm at Red Space Clay. Norman is at Hoosier Hoosier. Um, Koa, is there a is there a website that you have, or is there a social media that people mm -hmm. can directly uh, contact sure. you? Sure, <clears throat> people can just go to kuluaapara.com. Right so on. You have your own website. K u l w a a p as in Paul a r as in Robert a mm -hmm. dot com kuluaapara.com. They can also check out Deep Roots Health Consortium. That would be deeprootshealthco.com. And then you can also find me on Facebook just under my name or Instagram. I'm Black History in Espanol. Right on. Mm -hmm. And we'll have the link. If you can send me the link, I can sure. plop the link in there so that people can just click on okay, and they'll okay. be on there instantaneously. Okay. All right. Have a wonderful evening. It's a Sunday evening and uh, <laughs> you kids. <laughs> Uh, well, your daughter my with her babies. friend is chilling out. On Those my are my couch. babies. <laughs> they've been friends since they've been like 15 months and newborn. Oh, Issa was 15 so months sweet. old and Lola uh -huh. was just born. So yeah, they besties. God, oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. All right. Thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we've got to find a better sign off. And we are out. <laughs> Take care.